All right. So here's in my, my current thing. I need to go get uh, a haircut because, you know, I'm at that point where the hair on the back of my neck is longer than the hair on the top of my head. I, I don't know if you Are have we entering a... the mullet zone. Oh, no, no, no. It's actually the neck hair, not oh. not the back. It's that's it's even grosser. OK, but but my dilemma now, this has been a dilemma all my life. I think we've talked about it here is I want to go in there. Right. I I, I I like the guy that I found to cut my hair and that's fine. And and uh, I need to go in there and figure out uh, how to tell him I want I want things to be short, but not like crazy, right? Like, because the thing is, like, I'll go in there and I'll tell him that I want my uh, my beard to be short, and then I come out with a long beard. And I think I think the problem there is that like no one seems to have a short beard anymore. So so how do I? what do I tell them? Like I'm always, I always hold up my thumb and I say, I want it to be this thick, but I don't think barbers work in thumbs. But I think they, don't they work in fingers? Like I, someone said, like, if you want your, at least your hair cut, right. It's like finger length or like, you know, you can give them like inch or whatever, but people said like they do often use their finger as a marker when they're cutting your, like your proper Mm -hmm. hair. Now, I don't know, beard trimming slightly different. So and then, of course, if you're using clippers, which, you know, different people have different opinions about that, those always have a number, right? So you can tell them, like, whatever, one through six. Yeah, so, yeah. I don't know. Like, on your beard, it seems like your beard, you would start with, a like, a, a guard. You need to say, like, you want the number three uh-huh. guard or four guard. Uh-huh. Have you tried that, or is that not, is that not well, how they do it? No, no, they do. I just don't know what those are. Like, I find, I find the whole uh, guard thing. I, I should just look that up. Uh, I don't know. I think I just worry too much now. Okay. Now my follow-up question, uh-huh. which I think is, is related to this is now when they ask you, uh, how's that, right? Like, is that good? Do you want me to do some more? Are you, are you actually supposed to tell them if you want them to cut your hair more? Or is that just sort of like, you're, you're not supposed to ask them for anything more. Can you I know, tell this them? This is one of those. I, I do feel like, um, I've, I, I guess it's more of a social uh, social pressure kind of question, because I do think oftentimes if you want, especially if you're trying to get your hair short, barbers of all kinds will always err on the side of leaving it a little longer, obviously, right? Cause they're just, that's, yeah. I think they've learned that like, if, even if you say you want it super short, leave it longer, you know, allow for some, some, uh, potential to go back and fix, fix errors. Right. So I have, um, especially when I'm working with a new barber, I will, I think, Usually it's like the second time it's cut, especially if the first one I left, I felt it was a little long. I'll just ask them. I'll say, like, please make it shorter. Now, if you're lucky enough to go to the same barber every time, not everyone does that, but you do eventually, I think about about the third cut, depending on how often you go, it seems like you lock in on the length that you want and, and kind of the, the first cut. So I do think at the beginning, absolutely, you should, if you want it longer, I'm sorry, if you want it shorter, you should chime in and just tell them like, no, no, please. Can you take a little bit more off or can you thin it out? Yeah. And just, uh, cause they think they get it. I mean, they understand and they will usually say something like, oh, well, I didn't want to go too short because I was, I was afraid that was gonna be too short. And and then you give them confidence, like, uh, confidence or maybe give them permission be like, don't worry. I won't be mad if it's like, I often find that, especially here, Texas in the summers, I always tell them it's really hot it's fine if it's, you know, I want it shorter. Don't worry. I won't be mad if it's too short, you know, because it grows yeah. fast. Yeah. Okay. All right. You've given me some confidence, Brandon. I think I can go in there and uh, get what I want. Now, of course, he's uh, he's this Dutch guy and he's always given me shit about everything. So I guess I have to put up with that. He's not, he's not as bad as he could be, but you know, 
he's uh he's got he's the bet he's he's the unfortunate worst mixture of uh dutch humor and dutch straightforwardness however <laughs> however i think i mentioned this a while ago he was the one who mentioned that he'd never had a twinkie so back when i could still go to the u.s oh. i brought him some twinkies and hamburger helper he said he'd never had hamburger helper mm. and um uh peanut butter cups they don't have reese's peanut butter cups over here so i brought those for him so he is the one. Do you remember? I missed an appointment and I asked you if I should pay him or not. And uh, you were like, do you want to go back? And so I had to pay him. But this is after I brought him Twinkies. I don't I don't understand. Well, how come how come uh, a five dollar? I mean, it's worth a lot more than five dollars if you consider the tickets I had to uh, purchase uh, and all that time I had to spend on uh, being able to check baggage for free. Anyhow. Well, I, did, go, I mean, on May, on painted, did you do you go often? Was it like a one time occurrence? Like you you see him every few months or however? Yeah, 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 yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I just I just totally spaced out one time and didn't. Well, it show seems up. like I don't know if you've been going there for a while. Like you, I don't know. That's back to the social pressure question. It's like it does seem like they should cut you a break if you're like, well, I just yeah. made a mistake one time, but I've been coming here for a year or two. Um, I feel like yeah. the dentist is like that too. You know how the dentist is always like, if you miss the appointment. And, uh, you know, you have to get fine, you get not fine, but you have to pay anyway. And it's like, but then if you've been there, like I've been to the dentist a lot and I've had a lot of dental work. It's like, listen, I'm, I'm, I'm platinum level. I should be able to just once in a while, like I just get a free one. Like I miss You get it. to like skip the line when yeah, you show let's, up. Let's review my, my, uh, my dental work here and the total. Put it, put it up on the light box. Yeah. Let's look, <laughs> let's look at my lifetime value as a customer. I, I think I deserve once in a while, uh, a, a freebie I, like, that I just missed out on the, the cleaning. Don't be all mad at me. So, yeah, yeah, I think that's a good idea. Yeah, that would be nice to have that status. But whatever. I think he I think he had to uh, he had to make his money. Hello from Twilio. Today's show is sponsored by Twilio. Businesses all over the world right now are trying to reinvent how they connect with the world. Whether you're delivering packages, treating patients or running a global customer support center, your customers need you to invent new ways to stay connected. Twilio is the platform that millions of developers trust to build seamless communications experiences with phone calls, text messages, video calls, and more. Whatever your use case, Twilio has your back. It's time to build. Visit Twilio.com to learn more. And of course, we thank Twilio for sponsoring our show. Well, I was I was uh, excited to see. It's like the season of acquisitions. And uh, it, I, you know, I had to go verify this, but the... Uh, they're not called Rundeck. What are they called? No, they are or called they are Rundeck. Called... That's right. They used to, that's that's right. They used to be called DTO Solutions. Mm-hmm. I think on one of my older laptops, I have a sticker for them. But it's the uh, it's the Alex and Damian Edwards company, and I haven't checked in on Rundeck in a long time. But as their page said, I think it was a, a Runbook automation uh, sort of setup that they had going there, and you know helps with the DevOps. There was lots of security stuff, and it was acquired by PagerDuty. So it. Pager duty, getting into runbook automation. But hold on, and, question uh, for you, Cote. So I was looking at this yesterday, and I was like, "What's the current state? What is your current opinion of the state of play around runbook automation? Is runbook automation still a category that people are tracking?" Because when I went through this yesterday, I was like trying to look at it. Was I was like, "Who are the latest runbook automation vendors?" Right, just kind of like looking at various analyst surveys. But then I remembered that runbook anim- automation kind of became IT process automation, a more generic category at one point. Uh And then not really related, but sometimes related is this idea of like robotic process automation. So this idea that 
you can basically create these robots to do tasks over and over again that are it's that could sometimes be used for a run book, but could also be used to just automate other things in general. And then of course there's just CICD pipelines, right? Which are always kicking off and doing automated action. So this kind of brings me back to, I was like, wait a minute, like is run book automation still a, like a legitimate category or is it like an historical category? So what's your opinion? Uh, I think it's one of those phrases that like as a category it exists. And I bet if you went to, uh, I bet it's like, I bet someone like a Mary Jo Foley at IDC like leads up defining this category. And, and probably like it's a category with a bunch of older vendors who self-identify as run deck, run deck animation, animation, automation, run book automation. Right. But it's probably, it's probably like, you know, you're not, if you know, normal people wouldn't self-identify as a run deck uh, as a, it's a run, run book. book yeah. You see, that's yeah. the name that really messes you up because you're thinking like run deck, run book. Right. Because I, because I feel like, I mean, I mean, okay. I don't really know exactly what run book automation is, but I feel like what it is, is a multi-step automation that might have some like checkpoints for like, I mean, it's, it's the idea is you used to have a three ring binder. That was your run book, your checklist of, of things to run. And uh, so it's sort of like automating all of that. So it would just be like, you know, here's here's a 10 stage thing of uh, of things when you, I don't know, rotate the backup tapes and and you like you got to you automate all that stuff. And there's probably like some if then else's and branchings and a workflow, which I think like I think it's like, you know, a lot of these things. Uh, it might be it might be the uh, the 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 uh, Cote's uh, Kubernetes cognition problem where every time someone new comes into that ecosystem, it makes me realize that Kubernetes actually didn't do that and how little it actually does, which is fine, right? But maybe something like uh, runbook automation actually doesn't do as much as I think it does, but I just think of it as just like automation, right? Like I think, I'm trying to think, there are a couple of vendors like this that I remember talking with when I was an analyst. And the question I would always have is like, so like, what actually SSHs into there and changes the file? Do you right. do that? Right. And then they would be like, mm, look over here. Like, meaning that like they don't actually do it. They just sort of integrated with other tools that actually did that work. And, um, you know, the, uh, the, sh your chefs and puppets and other things of the world, they actually, uh, do stuff for you. All but, right. But let me throw one else at you. Cause I think uh, like if you and I were raising money for a company right now and we were wanting to work in this area, I think what we would say is we're an AI operation or AI ops company, right? That sure. seems to be, cause that was, that was my other thought. I was like, well, is Runbook completely subsumed now by AI ops? Cause idea, of course, even when going back in time, even when Runbook was somewhat popular, people were always talking about the idea that like, well, we don't want to have people actually having to SSH in and log and do. And of course, you know, a shout out to JJ, right? You know, this idea that like, well, we don't, we don't manually go in and fix the servers. We don't want this idea of a Runbook, right? We want to automatically detect problems, kill the server, uh -huh. you know, the whole cow, cattle versus pets metaphor, and we just restart it. And so that's sort of where I think the AI ops people are. But I, the reason I thought this acquisition was interesting, right? Because I always think PagerDuty is one, it's, it's like this sneaky large company, right? You think to yourself, oh, PagerDuty just does, you know, basically alerts. And it's like, yeah, but that's incredibly valuable. And they're the number one, I think they're by far the number one company in this area. So how they won that market, I don't know. Topic for another podcast. But I think the fact that they 
acquired run deck is sort of like a shout out to like, sure, there's all these things that you could do, all this AI automation you could do, but you know what people really want is they still want old school run book automation. And so this yeah. to me, and they're like, and they see to themselves if we buy run deck, this is, you know, as you always like to refer to, this is a classic tuck in acquisition. We just go back to all our customers and we sell them run deck, right? And they're, they're going to want it because they're getting all these alerts. So it's almost like an acknowledgement of like, we're not really where people think we could be, but there's tons of money to be made with the old stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I, I think if, 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 if you look at how Rundeck positions itself now, this is, this is talk about sausage being made, real-time analysis, I think is what this section is called. But yeah, I, I mean, you know, a, a runbook is basically like, here's the procedure to follow for whatever may happen, right? Like incident management or, or things like that. And yeah, if, if your pager duty detected that something was going wrong, uh, you would need to uh, sort of execute some incident management or whatever, right? So you want to kind of codify how how uh, you try to remediate a problem or fix it or, or do a deployment, whatever. You want to uh, set that all up and, and automate as much of it as possible. And, you know, I haven't heard of Rundeck in a long time, but I remember back when I had hearing that it works pretty well and that uh, it's relied on by, by several people. So it probably is nice that like you uh, you tie it together with any sort of like monitoring stuff and now you can try to uh, try to fix it, uh, which is fine. Now, I always like to uh, like think about when when acquisitions like this happen close enough. I wonder if PagerDuty was like looking at a chef and then and then this was like the sec you know, one of those might have been because this. Basically, if you were putting together a deck, these two would be in the same sort of uh, collection, right? Because what you're going to do is you're going to fill in that hole. You're going to achieve your synergies with either of them. Now, one, you know, they, they've got different like they got different synergy trickle down that's going to happen. But you've got your portfolio from a large perspective, whatever that means. And you're like, we're doing this one thing over here of seeing when things are happening and then over here, we respond to things happening that we don't like and change them. And however we might do this other thing, we're, we need to fill in that gap. So there are two different ways of filling in that gap. But I always wonder, like, we're, we're the same group of people looking at this. And then what do you know next week, the, uh, the pager duty people pull the trigger, as I think the investment bankers would say. Uh, and uh, they kind of execute on this second tier thing. And, I, I, you know, I have no idea if that was happening, but I always I always – when when I when I've seen M and A stuff like that happen before, there's almost um, this must be one of the cognitive biases. It's not sunk. Well, maybe it's sunk fallacy, but maybe maybe you know. There's I tried to listen to that book in Audible once. You know, thinking fast, thinking slow, and it it was just like too much, right? It was it was like I wanted to stop and take notes. Like <laughs> like I think so. I think it's one of those books where what I need is the. Uh, I need just like the, the some bullet points to go through to kind of remember that. Uh, so, you know, you know, it, it, there's sort of this thing. We've spent all of this energy on these candidates. So once we can actually pull the trigger on one of them, we need to get them. And if one of them falls out, we're going to get the other right, one. We do that. Well, I had the same thought you had about like, oh, I wonder if Chef was in there. So one, I think we can rest assured. The investment bankers called Pager Duty, right? They sent at a minimum, they sent the beautiful mm. PowerPoint deck over. And at a minimum, yeah, yeah, yeah. they got the CEO on the phone for 30 minutes, maybe longer, right? So I think that, I think we could, I've definitively say that. Now, whether or not PagerDuty ever showed interest, don't know. But the terms of this acquisition, I thought were interesting, right? So it's, uh, 
the uh, purchase price was approximately $100 million with 60% in cash, so $60 million, and 40% in pager duty common stock. So what you're thinking of, if you're in the boardroom, right, in your pager duty, and you're like, well, I can get for $100 million, which is roughly half of what Chef got bought for. I think Chef was 220 right? Um, for roughly half, I can get this. Now, it's it's fairly limited, but it also is a very natural upsell, right? You know, it's saying, if you will, I think if you're pager duty, it stays very much in the lane of I get an mm-hmm. alert, I get a notification, I'm going to uh, issue some type of run deck automation, and I'm going to take care of that problem. Where a chef then opens up a whole new set of capabilities, right, that potentially makes them a little bit more competitive with some of their partners, right? So I wonder how much that went into it was like, well, we could do more with chef and we could definitely branch out into new markets. But if we do that, does that sort of take away from our focus? I wonder if that was the conversation that happened within the pager duty boardroom. Yeah. Well, you know, to, to, to look at the, the run deck website again for our real time analysis, they, they certainly do talk a lot about incident management. So reacting to things going wrong that you might be paged for. Whereas like, Maybe the view would be that chef, you run chef to cause the problems that causes pager duty to go off, not right. to do the remediation. Well, so I think if you were there, though, but you could have made the pitch of the investment banker said, listen, why doesn't pager duty get into actually some level of compliance, right? So maybe, mm. maybe they're not the oh, full-blown yeah. p- compliance of legislation, but like, hey, why don't we verify that these servers and all, anything that we deploy is actually yeah. configured correctly, right? So that kind of branches you into config management. So you make the case of, hey, you know your problem, you know, back to the thing, what do you want with pager duty customers? You want to say, I can fix problems faster or I can offer you less problems. And that would start yeah. to be the config management story. But I could see where, again, like if I think it's very, like this acquisition is about as safe as you can possibly be in my mind. So that doesn't, that's that, that probably means it's a good idea, but it just also kind of limits the upside. It's like pager duty is just solidifying its uh, stranglehold on a really solid niche. And I, I think this kind of says they want to sell more to their current customers and they're not looking to branch out. Because I think the question going forward for pager duty, I've always thought this is like, is it, you know, a really a standalone company for a, a long, long period of time? Because it seems like a mm. great acquisition target. Like you can think of a ton of companies. That like, why not buy PagerDuty and own this area completely? Like, it seems a very reasonable priced company for the large mega vendors. So I think that's the other question is like, maybe they buy this one, but they're setting themselves up for a larger acquisition down the road. Yeah, yeah. Isn't PagerDuty one of them that's like worth a lot? What is that worth? Well, now, I think it's worth that... a few billion, but I'm thinking of like, you know, oh, think of yeah, all yeah, of our, yeah. you know, our other big, I know, see now all the cloud vendors. Like there's lots of people that could buy pager duty, like a data dog. Um, you know, I think there's just a ton of stuff that you could do. Like if you're a data yeah, dog yeah. and you got a ton of cat, a ton of equity, like I think, you know, doubling down and owning pager duty, that seems like a very attractive deal in my opinion. Data dog's the one that's really highly valued. Yeah, I think at the time, at least yesterday, I looked 20, at it. Twenty six point five billion. Yeah, Datadog. well, I think yesterday it was it was on the verge of thirty billion. So, like, if you're Data Dog, you got to save yourself. I, we got we have got to use this equity to buy something quick. Like, I, I just, yeah. I mean, and I think a pager duty. You may say, well, I don't want to pay that much for pager duty, or I could have, uh, I could build pager duty. It's like, well, listen, I mean, people said that about monitoring. Look at you, you're thirty billion dollar company almost. Like, double down, buy pager duty. That's going to be a nice cash cow for you for the for the days when the stock price isn't as high as you want it to be. Uh-huh. That, no, that makes sense. You know, I, I'm sure we've come up with this theory multiple times, but, uh, you know, I have to imagine that, uh, 
there must be like a pretty solid playbook that eventually any company in systems management tries to do everything. And, and you know, the, like I haven't checked in on service now in a while, but they don't seem to be doing everything right. Like I, I don't, well, they might, I don't know if they have like the full suite of stuff that you would buy. They always, I saw some headline the other day that they were once again, getting obsessed with doing workflow management outside of it. They probably, man, I, I can imagine when I was an analyst, they were always trying to, they were always telling me about how like DMVs were using it to do yeah. their, their workflow stuff. And I don't know. I'm, Maybe well, I do so, think, but... you know, ServiceNow is the old Remedy playbook, right? About when Remedy got big, half the revenue was from help desk and half the revenue was from custom built action request workflow systems. So what I think ServiceNow is doing is less about building those solutions now. I think they've gotten to the point that people are partnering with them and then building their, if you will, domain expertise on top of their specific uh, workflow mm. system. So in the mm. case of like identity management, for example, that's kind of a niche market owned by like SailPoint, Okta, and a bunch of others. But I've seen a new, a couple uh, entry, entry, new entrants that are going through, and they're actually going to build the workflow on top of ServiceNow. And I think that would yeah, probably yeah. be the, a good solution. So going forward, you know, it's the quote unquote platform play. ServiceNow becomes the hey, don't build your own, don't build your own workflow system with your custom domain logic. Build that domain logic on top of ServiceNow because the customer already has it. So I think that's going to be an interesting play going forward. Yeah. Now, ServiceNow would have runbooks in it, right? Well, I think it could, right? This is back to the whole thing, for sure. Like on the idea of like you open a service ticket, right? And then from inside of that, you've got the capability to do some automation. But this is back to where did that ticket originally come from? And then who do you notify? So you got to figure a pager duties in there too. So you got to think like, you know, that's kind of an interesting question. It's just like ServiceNow. And maybe that's another one we lay down is like, does ServiceNow buy PagerDuty at some point, right? Because that's a natural integration point. Get the alert, open up the ticket, right? And then yeah. link in your yeah. runbook. So that's another thing. And just a little real time, you know, I finally looked it up here. So PagerDuty as of right this moment is worth about $2 billion. So, I mean, of course, like it's not our money. And of course, like these are huge numbers, but in the world of corporate finance, you know, this $2 billion asset, like I think is pretty valuable for someone to snap into their portfolio, like ServiceNow, Datadog. We could probably come up with three or four others pretty quick if we wanted to. Man, there, there's like, there's enough like systems management companies out there. It'd be fun to be an analyst for that area now. It's back, like, baby. It, that, yeah. back, back when I was doing it, it was just like, you know, there was some new APM vendors and, and that was about it. And then the rest was just like, you know, the same old boring shit. But now you could actually kind of speak to, uh, the way things are differently. Boy, I bet every report would be like the rising demand in containerized workloads and public cloud migration is causing a dramatic need for, and then you would just kind of <laughs> dramatic go of the endless report. It's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. That, that would be, that would be the fun stuff. Hmm. Yeah. 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 That, that is, you know, I should, uh, you know, the p companies need to learn that if they advertise with us like Datadog, they, uh, they're going to do well. Pretty much all of our advertisers, I think, are doing splendidly. We are sponsored this week by StrongDM. Managing your remote team as they work from home? Managing a gazillion SSH keys, database passwords, and Kubernetes certs? Meet StrongDM. Manage and audit access to servers, databases, and Kubernetes clusters, no matter where your employees are. With StrongDM, easily extend your identity provider to manage infrastructure access. Automate onboarding, offboarding, and moving people within roles. Grant temporary access that automatically expires to on-call teams. 
Admins get full auditability into anything anyone does. When they connect, what queries they run, what commands are typed, it's full visibility into everything. For SSH, RDP, and Kubernetes, that means video replays. For databases, it's a single unified query log across all database management systems. StrongDM is used by companies like Hearst, Peloton, Betterment, Greenhouse, and SoFi to manage access. It's more control and less hassle. StrongDM, manage and audit remote access to infrastructure. Start your 14-day free trial today at strongdm.com slash SDT, all caps. Again, that's strongdm.com slash SDT. And we thank StrongDM for sponsoring our show. Well, there was also, I think it was from Hired.com, which is not Dice.com or these other places. But I did, uh, I saw I saw a survey early this morning that it looks like uh, it was the top employers in, in the tech world. And now, you know, there's kind of the same rotating uh, set of people. But what I was, you know, Atlassian and Austin is in there, so that's fun. But what I was interested in, and I, I should look this up uh, to to see what the difference was. But I tried to go look at the original source, but it looks like maybe they just gave this to Axios who covered it. And uh, you can't actually see the PDF yet. And therefore it's exclusive. So I was looking up uh, the the past hired survey. And it was interesting to see like the huge shift or, or like the, the shift in places. Uh, like it hasn't really remained steady. But what you got is uh, it looks like it looks like Netflix, GitHub, and Google are the best brands to work for. Now, now that's fun that it's GitHub. It's somehow they separate themselves from Microsoft. <laughs> you would think that it would just be Microsoft, but that's fine. Like, you know, that, that kind of does show you different. something. Well, the yeah, thing that caught yeah. my eye about this is like, I don't know if you've seen the rounds here. So I guess Reed, is it Reed Hoffman? Who's the CEO of uh, Netflix? Anyway, so he's been, he wrote a book recently, right? And he's been making the rounds on all the podcasts talking about the book and the Netflix culture. And I think what is interesting is he has taken this position that I, I think is at least right now is somewhat unpopular that, that, Hey, work from home. Isn't, it's not working out that well, that as soon as people can go back to work at Netflix, he wants everyone back in the office. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, so my question is like, so I was thinking it's interesting. It's like one, why do you think he wrote the book now? That's my question. That's the main thing. It's like, cause Netflix is doing well. He's still running the company. But he's kind of, you know, a lot of times people, after they retire, they'll write the book, kind of their biography or their management principles. And if you kind of go back to everything he's doing, if you think of it through the lens, he's trying to do everything he can to promote Netflix and keep it going. So, like, is writing the book, like, a vanity project? Is it a recruitment tool? Is it, um, I don't know, is it really meant to educate people? Because that's the other part of it. It's like, if you're running your business, do you really want to reveal your own if you believe your structure is so good, it, it gives you a competitive advantage. Would you really want to talk about it and explain it? Um, so I don't know. Like, what, what do you think? Like, what's the motivation? Like, why do people write these books in the middle of operating a company? That is, you know, I hadn't thought about that. Uh, you know, I haven't read the book, but but so I couldn't comment on. But also, like, you know, Jim Whitehurst wrote a book, the the Red Hat CEO. Mm-hmm. You know, now now IBM, I'm sh- president president yeah that's, that's what it is yeah and uh yeah that is a good question i mean i i i'll i'll take i'll take the 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 non-cynical tack which i think i think at a certain point you know you're sort of like i need to write all this stuff down 
right? Which is fine, right? Like I need to write down the way that I'm thinking about stuff. And probably also, I mean, the other thing, like I have no idea what is the case, but sometimes in cases like this, you get a ghostwriter or you get the with author, right? And so now this doesn't get to your, your question. Yet. I'm just thinking operationally, you get to the point where it's sort of like, do you ever see that movie that has the, uh, the train watching guy in it who was in that star Wars movie? And, uh, he was, he was working, he was a ghostwriter for someone else. And of course there's a murder on some Island. This is kind of an interesting movie, but you know, that can bring a lot of the, uh, the load off of your writing. But I have to imagine one, you, you do that. Cause you're just like, this is good stuff. I got to write it down. And probably like to some extent, it's, it's also like people keep telling you, you should write a book. But then you might it might also just be like part of the lore of the company that you're working at. Mm. Right. Like there is um, I've never really read the the Ray Dalio stuff or whatever. Right. But but I think to some extent that's sort of like I'm tired of fucking telling people what their job is and how they should do things here. So I need to write this write down, down and they should mm. read it. And I haven't read the Reed Hastings thing either. I mean, well, the, I just think, to give you a couple quick uh, fact checks here. So Aaron Meyer, she's a co-author. So I assume she's the you know the ghost writer here. Sorry. Mm. So she's named. Um, and so like, but I think, you know, this had to start somewhere. It's like, I think somebody pitched Reed Hoffman. It's Reed Hastings. Sorry. Sorry about mispronouncing his last name the last time. So it's Reed Hastings. Someone like this doesn't happen by accident. Either he really thought about it or there was a PR push, right? Because the one thing I've noticed in all of his interviews, the, the people that ask him about it, they always want to talk about this. You know, I think we talked about it on the show, this idea of the culture of, uh, essentially like fire someone as soon as you think they're not right for the, the job anymore. So this idea, and that's like a, I guess that's just a way that must attract a lot of readers. And I've noticed in, as an equivalent thing, that's different company, but GitLab, right. They always talk about in the people that write about them always talk about their hundred percent remote and they were always a hundred percent remote. So I yeah. think maybe the PR people are sometimes in there and saying, listen, we have some really some red meat, if you will, that we, you believe something that people are going to naturally want to write about because they think it's oh, controversial. Yeah, sure. So I think yeah, maybe yeah, that's yeah, where yeah. it starts. It's just like, Hey, read a lot of your culture is counter, maybe not, I don't know, counterintuitive is the wrong word, but just maybe it's just controversial, right? So if you pitch it, you're going to get, Netflix is going to get so much unearned, un, I'm sorry, yeah, earned rather, uh, media coverage because people are going to love to yeah, write about yeah, the yeah. fact that Netflix fires people on the spot if they're no longer the person qualified. And just like I think they say the same thing to GetLab. They're like, people want to write about 100% remote companies all the time. So if you're like in there with a CMO and you're like, I want to build the brand, I want Netflix to get X thousands of press mentions this yeah. year, that may be where the book comes from. Now, I think the problem that potentially is that could come from it though is then I think if you're if you're forced to write this book, like no rules, rules, Netflix and the uh -huh. culture of reinvention, like if, some, if you agree to do it, then you kind of have to commit to like there being this full blown culture. So then I think you run the risk of like inventing something that doesn't really exist to fill the book. Like, okay, so maybe, maybe the culture is, maybe it's a 30 page paper, right? But then you're like, well, I got to write 200 pages on it. And then you run the risk of like really trying to like people at Netflix. I'd love for someone at Netflix to read it. Tell me, does all this exist or did they just kind of make this up? And it's like, well, working there is totally different. So I don't know. So I think there's the press angle and then there's the potential of, are you building a culture that actually exists or talking about a culture exists or a culture that you want to exist, which is an interesting thought too. 
Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, that, that is a good question. Like, why did this book come? Like, also, you know, Mark Benioff's always writing books. Yeah. Like, he's he's always... And, and yeah, you know, for sure, if you're going to use a, a a trademark company name, like, it's obviously, like, there's a bunch of corporate stuff behind it. And, and you know, just to confirm, I mean, I it probably contributes to the overall uh, brand appeal and recruiting efforts and also like serves as some kind of manual. I mean, they must, there's just be boxes of those books lying around Netflix now that they hand out to people. You get your, uh, you get your water bottle so you can stay hydrated and yep. your, uh, your book. t-shirt and a, yeah. and a book, right? Which is fine. I mean, maybe it caught a, you know, too bad I haven't read the book. I'll go on commenting on it. <laughs> uh, much like the report I talked about last week, uh, right. which is a good, a good, uh, good title pick. But it, yeah, and and also to confirm, right? Like, I mean, your 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 PR people are always looking for stuff that people want to write about. So clearly, a contrarian take. Anything about COVID stuff is uh, is great. And yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I wish I I I want someone to write you know there was that axios review of this bringing it up again i forget if i mentioned this but it was like it was it was a, a quick little review of the book and it was something like the one thing that he fails to mention is that he uh is that netflix gets rewarded for losing money constantly right it's just like every time he spends money and invests money i mean they might be profitable now but you know they were making the point of like there's something different about uh how investors treat them versus other stuff so um you know, as you used to always say, like, as long as those billions of dollars at Google just keep showing up every month, <laughs> then you're good. Yeah. Don't, don't worry about it. And, and it is, uh, there is something to that. And, you know, us digital transformation people or whatever go on and on about that. But there's, I haven't really ever seen that satisfying 30 page paper on like the difference between Netflix and GE. Mm. And, and, and the difference, the difference being that you can't, you can't just say like, well, this there's a startup that isn't confounded by this past history of stuff. I don't know. There must be. Uh, I can't think of companies as an example that have kind of gotten over like, you know, 100 years or 50 years or even 40 years. I mean, I guess you could point at Microsoft. Mm -hmm. But anyhow. Well, the only that, thing I mean, back to this thing around Netflix, like one, there's I can't remember. I think it was an acquired podcast or somewhere else where they kind of go through the history of Netflix. I can't remember. I'll have to find the link and find it. Shouldn't show us, but you know, even in there, they show like several times Netflix tried to sell itself to Blockbuster. Blockbuster wasn't interested, and they even go through and talk about how Blockbuster made some self, you know, poor decisions that even Blockbuster's management knew were bad decisions. So, so it's always back to the, these ideas around, you know, to your point there. It's like a few things go differently, and Blockbuster makes a few different decisions. They either own Netflix. Or maybe they beat Netflix, right? So it isn't like if you to use uh, one of your favorite phrases, the counterfactual, right? It's like it doesn't take that much to think of a different counterfactual where a Netflix doesn't win. And then the other part of like I just think as a someone who's just worked at a lot of companies that I always think like causation, correlation, or culture versus success. It's like these books are written such so that you believe the culture drove the success, but most of the time. The books are written after the fact. So, so like, was it like we just became really successful and now we're just happened to be writing down our culture, but like there was a million. And I think that's why GitLab is an interesting kind of uh, you know, comparison here. Like GitLab's the opposite. Like, Hey, come to work, 
work from home, you know, they're doing it in a totally different way and their culture is completely different. And again, they're doing hmm. only after they're successful, do you write down the culture? So, uh, but all these books, they want you to believe like there's something magic in this culture that led to our success. And it's like, I don't know, maybe you're just the ones that su- succeeded and now you're just writing down your culture. And yeah, maybe in yeah, the end, yeah. the six page memo doesn't really matter. It's, it's your old halo effect. Yeah. You know, I've been thinking about an, a new little booklet I, I want to write called like, uh, I was tentatively titling it, uh, mindset about all the, like, you know, mindsets people need to have all that stuff. I, I never like writing about or investigating. Cause it's all just like, you know, just think differently, which is a hard thing to implore people to do. But now, you know, there's another, another thing that would be sort of like studying like cultures of this, this culture idea from 10 different organizations and really like, not just like, I mean, the problem with that kind of study is like it just tells you the what, like it documents what the cultures are right. and then talks about it so successful. But like it would be more of like, I don't even know what. And it doesn't need to be like so strict and empirical, but it, it's just more of like, how did these come about? Like what what is this this culture thing? And I don't know. It'd be a good uh, cross study uh, analysis to do. But, you know, there's a few links we didn't get around to. We got all sorts of uh, administrative stuff. If you want to get a sticker. Where do they email it to, Brandon? Their address, mailing That's right. address? Just email me a, uh, uh, your postal address at stickers at softwaredefinedtalk.com. I will be happy to uh, send you a sticker like I did this week. I sent it to Sibin in India, so happy to uh, send him a sticker. And then I also wanted to uh, quickly, I got a little info on the Forest Away from last week. So um, some people wrote in, told me some stuff about it. So just to get, correct anything I said last week, Azure Arc was not in that way because they were not a GA product. AWS mm. is not in the way because they can't run on multiple clouds, at least not yet. Probably, you know, wait and see uh, what happens at AWS. Uh, it's big uh, trade show coming soon, reInvent. Uh, Red Hat, Google, and VMware. I was talking about the bubbles, but I guess it's really a circle. So that's the market present circle. They're all oh. equally sized circles. So if I in- implied that anyone had more than the other, but if you actually look at it, they're all basically plus 500 million in revenue. So they're all the, they're all the same. And um, the data that was collected was pretty new. So it was, uh, it was, you can, we can say like uh, all of that information is fairly, uh, you know, only a few months old, not like a year old. So there you go. Now, you know, everything you want to know about the Forrester wave from last year. No, that's, that's good. I, I, I like, I like to keep up on that stuff. And we got two conferences coming up Envoy Con in October and uh, also uh, KubeCon and CloudNativeCon in November. Those should be enjoyable. But this week, Brandon. What do you have to recommend? All right, a couple of quick recommendations here this week. One is uh, if you've not seen it, uh, there was a good uh, YouTube video that explained uh, how the virtual production of the Mandalorian worked. So I heard a lot about that they used uh, you know game and a game engine. I think it's Epic's engine um, to actually build out the backgrounds. But then I finally I just like well what what happens then? And so anyway, they have this giant video board, which is an incredible understatement of of how it is. So watch that uh, thing and get a look at like how they project the backgrounds and then they they make the Mandalorian, which is going to come out with a new season end of October. So that's all that's a good one. And then um, I'll just briefly say here. This is a very small, simple thing, but iOS 14 came out and they've introduced this app library and I really like it. It let me get rid of all these app home screens and it's sort of like, oh, it introduces this idea of like the, if you will, the Mac OS dock to iOS. So I always like it when things just show up and I'm like, oh, that's the way it should have been all along. So I've been enjoying that. So if you are an Apple person, I upgraded to iOS 14. I didn't have any problems. I'm sure other people did, but it's been good for me. So check that out. Yeah, it's nice. 
like stuff is more rounded in it so far as is, is I've, I got to I got to check that out. Everyone likes a lot the well, I got I got a, a standard every day. I mean, even uh, recommended this over the years, but I want to recommend my favorite pin, the Pilot G207. Now, if you go to Costco, you got to watch out. You're going to get the Pilot G205, which is a smaller uh, line. I don't like that small crisp line. I like the big fat 07 line. I can buy them in blue. Also, last time I was at Costco, you got to buy some rainbow color of them. I just want to buy 20 of these blue pins for, you know, 10 bucks because normally they're like two bucks a piece or something. I think that math works out in my favor. But you get yourself some of those. You get the Pilot G207 in blue. Writes wonderfully. Good, good pin. I've used them for years and years. That's what you want to look into. Well, as always, this has been Software Defined Talk. You can find the show notes for this episode at softwaredefinedtalk.com slash 258. Now, we spent a lot of time trying to get our streaming video working, and it worked for a while, and then I don't know what happened. I think I, I think maybe I put too much Skype on the overdrive and NDI or something, so I need to adjust some settings. And uh, maybe we'll get that working uh, next time or not. Who really knows? Bye-bye. Yeah, and just think there's some bonus episodes where I'm arranging images on the screen that that you can check out you can go back and look at those it's really good yeah